You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. Every single thought that we have creates correlating chemistry in our bodies, whether it's a thought of something advantageous, love, joy, happiness, all of these positively associated feelings, those create correlating chemistry in our bodies. And if we're talking specifically about feelings, we're talking about neurotransmitters, we're talking about specific hormones. Our feelings don't just manifest from nowhere, they are based on chemistry, but we are in the driver's seat in the chemistry that we're creating. Now, the same thing holds true with things that we label as negative. Anger, sadness, frustration, guilt, these all, these feelings that we experience in our lives are created via chemistry. We're feeling the feelings because of the chemistry we're creating driven by our thoughts. Now, the question is today, do these thoughts contribute to our health and or the manifestation of disease? That's what we're diving into today on this very, very special episode. And I think that you are going to be blown away. Now, during this episode, we do talk a little bit about how to modulate stress and become more resilient through our nutrition. And one of the things that our special guest mentions is something that's been utilized for thousands of years in the Ayurvedic system of medicine. Today, we have tons of studies now affirming its value in helping our bodies to adapt to stress to essentially become more resilient. In fact, in a study titled Adaptogenic and Anxiolytic Effects of Ashwagandha in Healthy Adults, a double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled clinical study. This was published in 2019. The researchers found that participants who received ashwagandha for eight weeks had significantly reduced perceived objective stress in their lives. And objectively, using scientific method to actually monitor their cortisol levels, they found that the test subjects had significantly lowered levels of the stress hormone cortisol compared to those who took a placebo. This is incredible. Their entire fields and billions being invested into this pharmaceutical model, trying to find a drug to help people to manage the effects of abnormal stress, of chronic stress. And we have something that is time-tested, again, been utilized for thousands of years as one of the top things, if not the top thing in Ayurvedic medicine, and it's called ashwagandha. Now, what's more in the study, which can be overlooked, the participants who received the ashwagandha experienced significantly improved sleep quality compared to the placebo group. It made their lives better overall. It reduced stress, but also it showed up when they laid their head down in the evening, which that's just going to lead to better health outcomes and showing up better the next day, right? It starts to create a virtuous circle instead of a vicious circle of health benefits. Now, ashwagandha is actually one of the foundational ingredients in something that is a staple in my family's nutritional protocol. On a daily basis, my family is utilizing green juice from Organifi. Not only is it organic, low temperature process, but we're getting this infusion of these superfoods, ashwagandha, and also it's coupled with spirulina, which spirulina is 71% protein by weight. Again, been utilized for thousands of years. NASA has been studying spirulina for many years because of its nourishment and helping people who are trying to adapt to this, maybe the most remarkable stress that humans have ever experienced, which is living in outer space. 
All right. So of course it can help us to adapt better here on planet earth, right? It's a super green algae that has some of the rarest nutrients, one of them being phycocyanin. Now phycocyanin has been found in, again, peer reviewed studies to contribute to something called stem cell genesis, the creation of new stem cells. Now this is just remarkable. Again, spirulina, ashwagandha, chlorella, all of these superfoods and others are in the Organifi green juice formula. Highly recommend checking them out. Head over to Organifi.com forward slash model. You get 20% off everything that they carry store-wide. All right, head over there, check them out. Get yourself some of the green juice. I think you're going to absolutely love it. Kid tested, father, model health show approved. It's Organifi.com forward slash model. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model for 20% off. Now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Intermittent Fasting by The Williams Girl. Really enjoyed the intermittent fasting episode. You and Cynthia Thurlow commented about physicians writing prescriptions because the patient won't listen. My experience is that doctors don't explain well what needs to happen and why. If they took the time, more people would listen. Thank you for exploring the topics you do. It's been an inspiration for me as I fight liver disease. Thank you so much for sharing your story and thank you for leaving that review over on Apple Podcasts. And actually, this addresses today perfectly. We have a physician who does listen and he's going to be sharing his insights. He's going to be sharing his experience with his patients. We're really working to shift this paradigm to create a wonderful new ecosystem of health and wellness, you know, moving away from the model of sick care into true health care, into wellness. And that's what this is really all about. And looking at today, most powerfully, how our mind and how this intimate connection between our gut and our brain is impacting our health outcomes. And so our guest today is Dr. Will Cole. And he's a leading functional medicine expert who consults with individuals around the globe. And he actually started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over a decade ago. He's been named one of the top 50 functional and integrative doctors in the nation. Dr. Cole provides a functional medicine approach for issues ranging from thyroid conditions, autoimmune conditions, hormone imbalances, digestive disorders, and much more. He's also the host of the popular podcast, The Art of Well-Being, and he's the New York Times bestselling author of multiple books. And now he's back here on the Model Health Show to talk about these new and powerful insights about our gut feelings, the gut-brain connection, and more. Let's dive into this conversation with the one and only Dr. Will Cole. My guy, Dr. Hey, Will Cole, so good to see you. Thank you. Nice to see you, my friend. Yeah, man. Listen, every time I talk with you, it's always insightful. And you're talking about a subject matter that is very, very important to me. And it's important, should be important for all of us, but a lot of us, we don't realize that this is happening. So I want to start off by asking you, can mental and emotional stress cause diseases mm. and even suppress our ability to lose weight. That's my experience in my, with my day job and the science is pointing to that as well. I mean, for the past 13 years, you know, my focus, my passion is really immersing myself in the stuff for my patients. Started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers. So basically from sunup to sundown, I'm in a room talking to people around the world, looking at labs, digging into these sort of intricate psychosomatic and psychological, physiological interplay that's playing out in people's lives, sadly. And the research is showing that as, as well. 
researchers exploring thing exploring things like chronic stress and shame and trauma and how these mental emotional even spiritual things are literally being stored in the cells impacting methylation impacting genetic epigenetic interplays and how inflammation is expressed how the gut brain axis is expressed how the nervous system's hypervigilance is expressed so it's it is a um Massive component and oftentimes not looked. It's certainly not looked in conventional medicine very often, but I would say it's just beginning to be talked about even in the health and wellness space in many circles, at least. Yeah. Unfortunately, the mind has been taken out of medicine in a sense, and it's become so mechanistic. And in reality, the mind is essentially, it's everything, you know, Mm -hmm. it's creating the body and there's this very complex association with all of it. Yeah. And so I think that one of the big hallmarks is that, you know, our thoughts create chemistry in our bodies mm-hmm. and you really dig in. I mean, your book is called Gut Feelings mm-hmm. and you talk about the gut brain connection. So what is that exactly? So, I mean, your gut and brain, most of your listeners will know, but for people that are newer to this concept, the gut and brain are formed from the same fetal tissue. So when babies are growing in their mother's womb, they're formed from that same fetal tissue and they are inextricably linked for the rest of our life through what's known as the gut-brain axis, or the connection between the two. You know, 95% of serotonin is made in the gut, stored in the gut, 50% of dopamine is made in the gut and stored in the gut. These sort of feel-good, pleasure-happy neurotransmitters. And that's just one aspect of it. Then you think about 75% of the immune systems in the gut. Inflammation's a product of the immune system. So most issues with the brain have to do with inflammation. So both from a neurotransmitter synthesis standpoint and the crosstalk between the gut microbiomes and the brain and the metabolites they produce to do so to the inflammatory component. I mean, there's a whole field of research known as the cytokine model of cognitive function. Cytokines are pro-inflammatory cells. How does inflammation impact how our brain works? How does inflammation impact mental health? And that's one of I mean, this book is born out of what I get to talk to people on an hourly basis. And I just know there's a massive sea of people that are falling through the cracks of conventional medicine, doing everything their doctor is telling them to do. And they're considered treatment resistant, right? And they are left to be their own doctor, their own health advocate in many ways. And I think I'm, and I'm sure you agree with this. I'm happy that we are normalizing the conversations around mental health and mental health care. I'm happy that we're normalizing the conversations even around autoimmunity, but in many ways in the conventional mainstream world, it's a, in my opinion, incomplete conversation because you really can't talk about mental health until you realize that mental health is physical health. Yeah. And our brain is a part of our body just as much as anything else. And we like to relegate mental health as sort of this abstract quote unquote chemical imbalance, which is flimsy science anyways, but to really ignore the inflammatory component, ignore the gut-brain axis component largely, these people are left to fend for themselves. Yeah, thank you for sharing that because mental health and brain health are really synonymous. Yeah. But you know, it seems very ethereal, it seems kind of abstract when we talk about mental health. Yeah. But in reality, again, this is, all of our thoughts create chemistry. And you just mentioned something so profound, which is so much of our mood-altering chemistry is located in our gut, mm-hmm. right? And so we have this perception again, like all of our stuff is happening up here in our heads. Yeah. And I think this is a result of, you know, obviously our senses being up here, 
But, you know, the, the gut has been called the second brain, you yeah. know, the enteric nervous system. You just mentioned serotonin and dopamine and, you know, there's so much more. Melatonin is a huge hub happening in your gut. You know, you have these enterochromaffin cells. And so what we're putting into our gut inherently is going to affect our mood, our perception, our mental health, right? And so this brings me to the question, what, what made you title this book Gut Feelings? Is this like a double entendre? It is, it is. So I, a large part of my job with my patients is education and empowering people to give them agency over their health. So I have a lot of time to think about communication and how it's gonna land with the, whether it's the health aficionado, that's mostly my patients, like the super savvy, erudite person that listens to your podcast, that reads all the books, that's immersed in the scientific literature, uh, but to sort of meet people where they're at, those people, and then the person that's like, okay, I'm confused. And I don't know what to believe because Dr. Google is sort of this endless vortex of conflicting information. So gut feelings has different layers from my standpoint as the, the writer. I, I, it has, its, has ancient origins, that term, right. right? Gut feelings, gut instincts, they, butterflies in my stomach. Somehow our ancestors knew that the gut was the seed of the soul. And now science is catching up with antiquity. Now we have all this PubMed and research to know the mechanisms of how the gut plays a role in how our brain works and in many other aspects of our health. But I also wanted to have a conversation about sort of this duality between mental health and physical health and how really it's, uh, it's really ultimately the same when you look at these mechanisms. But we're looking at both gut and feelings, the physiological and the psychological, and how it's bidirectional. And the physiological stuff that I measure on my patients' labs, like underlying gut problems, like things like SIBO, intestinal permeability. I see a lot of people that have these wild um, histamine intolerances and mast cell activation issues and mold toxicity and chronic Lyme disease. Those things that we can quantify on labs will impact how our brain works. It'll impact inflammation levels in the body, which will really drive anxiety and depression and brain fog and fatigue. But then conversely, the feeling stuff the mental, emotional, spiritual stuff like chronic stress and trauma and shame will also raise inflammation levels just as much as the physiological stuff and some people even more so. So it has to be a both and conversation when you're talking about mental health issues and talking about autoimmunity. And those are my people. Those are the people that I see dealing with these both and issues, the gut and the feelings, but then they're really not given tools to deal with either side in the conventional model. Yeah, oh man, this is so important. I really hope that people today, they have a, a, a true shift in their perception because when we're really gonna dig into this more and more and more in this episode, but I said this earlier, your thoughts create chemistry in your body. Mm -hmm. And to acknowledge the fact that we can think our way, essentially mm -hmm. feel our way into sickness, you know, we have these like general ideas about that. Like, you know, if somebody's really angry, maybe they have high blood pressure, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. But truly, right now, we can think our way. We can both have our heart rate accelerate, mm -hmm. right? We can both alter our blood pressure to the degree like the white coat phenomenon. Yeah. Like we have to account for that. Just somebody going in to get their blood pressure done yeah. in that kind of clinical setting can alter their blood pressure yeah. in negative or positive ways, you know, depending on their perception. 
Yeah. Right. And so all of these things are happening every single microsecond. And so to give language to it, to label it, to call it out, you know, gut feelings is so important, man. I'm excited about this. And in the book, you talk about how, and just to open this door for everybody, why is food foundational in this gut brain communication? Well, it's the entry point. I mean, hopefully we're all eating, right? So I think it's a, a way for people to realize they will influence how their how their neurotransmitters are expressed. How will their brain be firing? How will their brain be functioning? Will it be well balanced? Will it be communicating properly with the rest of the body or not? And every food we eat either feeds inflammation or fights it. Some in negligible ways and you're not going to notice it. Don't stress about it. But there are significant players when it comes to your breakfast, lunch, and dinner and your snacks that will do one or the other for you. So yeah, we have to start there. We have to start there. The food's a, a central part of the book, but then again, what I call these metaphysical meals, right? These things that I want people to start shifting their perspective on like, what are the thoughts they're feeding themselves? That's a meal. And, but that's less prescriptive and more nebulous because it's easy for me to say all the clinical nutrition stuff in the book and show the science and have these foods most likely to mess up your mood and raise inflammation or trigger an autoimmune issue. These foods are going to nourish the microbiome and calm things down. It's a lot more to unpack. It's a bigger, complex topic to talk about feeding. What, what thoughts are we feeding our, our body? Yeah. But it's the truth. We have to start retraining our brain and retraining our, our habits to start to be supportive of the parasympathetic, the resting, the digesting, the hormone balanced. With, with these quote unquote metaf met metaphysical meals. So things like meditation, things like breath work, things like somatic experiences can start to shift the nervous system in a more of a resting, digesting, hormone balanced way, which is to me just as influential as the foods that we eat. So again, to be a both and approach is important. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes from the book is, Thoughts and emotions are like nutrients for your head, heart, and soul. And unfortunately, many of us have been feeding ourselves junk food for a long, long time, unquote. Yeah. So this is speaking to the junk thoughts that we yeah. might habitually be feeding ourselves, right? My friend Daniel Amen calls them ants, right? Automatic negative thoughts. Yeah. And we get into these negative loops. And my, my argument, you know, we, we just say like my old self, hearing this message from you would be like, this doesn't make sense mm -hmm. when we're talking about your thoughts affecting your biology, your, your mm -hmm. metabolism, because how is this influencing your health outcomes if your thoughts don't have any calories? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it just, because it's apparently something not tangible, which even that, that's the thing about today you just mentioned, like we have solid science on this. Your thoughts, they have a physical substance. It's a creation, yeah. Yeah. truly. But I think that our mission today is to get people past that, that veil and appreciate the fact that we can think ourselves into better health, mm -hmm. but we have to address kind of the underlying milieu, the underlying mess that we find ourselves yeah. in. Yeah, I agree with you fully. And I, I think for many people, at least that I've seen over the years, when they start feeding themselves these healthy metaphysical meals, these these nourishing thoughts and habits that will start to cultivate more of a parasympathetic state, they tend to want to go towards the foods that love them back too, because it's kind of like 
they have a more of a self-respect. And it's not that they're trying to die and shame themselves into wellness. It's like, no, I, they start to love feeling great more than they thought they wanted that food that didn't love them back. And that's sort of the paradigm shift. But look, some people, the entry point for them to start reclaiming their health is the food. And then at some point, I see that bandwidth increase, that resilience increase because they maybe cleaned up their diet. They worked on healing their gut. Then they're okay, this meditation stuff, this breathwork stuff, this somatic stuff, I can handle it now. So again, to deal with both the gut and the feelings and meet yourself where you're at, it's okay. But at some point in your journey, most people are going to have to deal with both sides of this coin, the physiological and the mental, emotional, spiritual. Yeah. Oh, man. It all ties together. You said earlier that there is skyrocketing rates of people experiencing this kind of uh, treatment-resistant mm -hmm. dysfunction or disease, right? Yeah. And with that, also having a greater manifestation of more like, idio it's la labeled as idiopathic, Fantastic, right? Yeah. We don't know what caused it. There is no cause. It just happened, yeah. right? Which abandons basic tenets of science, by the mm -hmm. way. But the thing is, every single thing in our universe, there's a causative agent, right? Mm -hmm. We have this kind of cause and effect phenomenon. But now that we're seeing this, the way that we've been looking at things not working to mm -hmm. this degree, now it's time to address something that not only does this work, and you've seen this with your patients, mm -hmm. you know, on a daily basis, but it might be the most important thing. Yeah. And so my question is, let's talk about some of the top psychological disruptors to this gut-brain connection. Yeah. And my, as you were talking, I was even thinking about the placebo effect, right? And people think, oh, it's a placebo effect. That shows you right there, mind over matter, how your thoughts influence physiology and even the nocebo effect, right? It's like sort of the negative thoughts and these reports, I'm sure you've read over the years where people are told that they have a terminal illness on a report. And one report I, that comes to mind is the man ended up dying weeks later only to find after he passed away, he never had the illness. That's in conventional journals. Both the placebo and the nocebo effect are really, I think, showing what I'm talking about here and how, what, how you said it, like thought actually influences our physiology. And so the biggest, you know, I, the way that I put it in the book, chronic stress is sort of the ultimate junk food, but it is this sort of insidious thing because the human species wouldn't be here without some resilience. And, you know, I think in some ways we kind of lack the resilience that our ancestors had, but there's a difference between being able to handle life with acute stress, having some grit and this sort of what researchers refer to as this evolutionary mismatch, you know, this epigenetic genetic mismatch where our genes really haven't changed in 10,000 years, but yet so much of our life, when you're talking about how we are doing our life on many levels, and stress is a part of that. It's not the only component of it. But the, our relationship with technology, the relationship with life, our relationship with the planet, this sort of hustle culture that's at play, this sort of um, seeing burnout as this badge of honor, it's a massive issue because it's cr increasing that chasm between our DNA, which hasn't changed in 10,000 plus years, and the world around us. So yes, it's chronic stress. And I, there's a, a term that I talk about with my patients and I, I talk about it in the book, what I call shame flammation. It's sort of this term to describe that mental, emotional, spiritual stuff and people shame around 
health, around their life, around food, and how it's manifesting in their life. So I want part of the book, I really wanted to tackle the topic of diet, what's labeled as diet culture, and more pointedly, that toxic diet culture, and this sort of polar opposite of quote unquote, anti diet culture, and really just giving a functional medicine perspective on both sides. And uh, so because I see all of that stuff, really creating a massive problem of orthorexia, uh, disordered eating or unhealthy food, with, specifically within the health and wellness space with the best of intentions oftentimes. But they're sort of like obsessing about healthy things, like stressing about healthy mm. foods isn't good for your health. So, all, <laughs> so they've learned nothing else in this conversation, but it's a massive problem, especially, I mean, not to generalize, but the people that I see, especially amongst women, where they're trying the best that they can. But here's the double-edged sword is that, as you know, many of these people are having food sensitivities and food reactions. That's even more confusing because then they becoming fearful of food because they don't want to have that flare up again. So that's sort of that storm of confusion and disillusionment that what I call shame inflammation, it's contributing to their health problems and it's hard to break the cycle. But the tools that I have found to be the most effective at breaking that cycle of shame inflammation, I put in the book because it's, it's important. It's important now more than ever, in my opinion. Yeah. And I want to dig more into this because I think this is one of the biggest leverage points that you address in the book. This concept you've created with shamefulmation. And for, I think we need to provide a little bit of context for this as well, because you're tying in two very powerful things mm -hmm. in our biology and in our universe period, shame and inflammation. And researchers at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and we'll throw the study up for everybody, they uncovered essentially that hypothalamic inflammation is a big contributor to obesity and metabolic dysfunction. Right. So this inflammation in the brain, specifically in the hypothalamus, so this kind of master gland, it's like regulating our body temperature, how our bodies are processing uh, the calories we consume, you know, um, a, a vast variety of things, you know, and kind of synchronizing, you know, the chronobiology, all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing. Inflammation in this particular gland is causing downstream things to happen with insulin resistance, mm -hmm. and a propensity towards growing more body fat. And here's what they found. This is the other part. Having excessive body fat and insulin resistance was creating more inflammation in the brain, right? But if we could tie this together, so we know like mechanically, right, we're eating things that are contributing to inflammation in the brain. Mm -hmm. There's a two-way street here that I want to ask you about because there's going to be a mindset that drives us to eat those particular foods that are hurting us. Mm -hmm. Right. And also outwardly, our thoughts can create inflammation in our brain, specifically this regulatory part of our brain. Yeah. We could think ourselves into like literally you can get overheat our bodies, yeah. for example, right? And even that's another thing the hypothalamus is involved in, you know, kind of helping giving a hand with our cardiovascular system. The list goes on and on. So there's two parts to this. So number one, with shamefulmation, let's talk about how this applies to diet. Right, and the foods that we're choosing to eat, and the outer picture of inflammation in the body. Well, it again, and that's the, the chicken and the egg conversation, yeah, like yes. what came first. Yeah. And I think of countless of cases where 
for one, it's going to be more of the mental emotional stuff. It's going to impact more of the physiological. And then for other people, they don't really have a lot of trauma and sh shame or chronic stress in their life. And they'll say things like, I don't have anything to worry about. And we measure things, what's called like an ACE score, an adverse childhood experience score, which research shows the higher the ACE score, things that happen in our childhood, like physical abuse growing up, sexual abuse growing up, uh, alcohol, drug abuse growing up. The more your ACE score is higher, it's more, more likely to have these metabolic issues like type 2 diabetes and autoimmune issues and yeah. hypervigilant nervous systems. Some people have very low ACE scores. And even beyond their childhood, their life is pretty good but they have these underlying gut problems, these metabolic issues that's then impacting their mood. For most people, it's going to be a bit of both, right. but it is this thing that you have to break. And it's, that's the science and art of, for my job, finding out how do we break that cycle? Because it's just that big negative feedback loop of sort of the thoughts and emotions impacting physiology and the physiology impacting your thoughts and emotions. What's going to resonate with that person for them to stay consistent with it enough to get that to get their head above that proverbial water so they can start feeling better and then they can do more, more stuff as they gain resilience and increase their bandwidth. So I don't know if that answered your question or not, but it's complicated, yeah. it's complex. Everybody's story is different, but typically you're gonna have pieces of the puzzle that deal with both the gut and the feelings. Yeah, the, that was perfect. That was the absolutely perfect answer because it's a difficult question, Yeah. right? Because it's this feedback loop. It can become a vicious circle, essentially, yeah. going in multi-directions. Yeah. But you had the audacity. You just said art when talking about health, mm -hmm. right? The science and art. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it's all about. With a great practitioner, they understand that the person in front of them is unique. Yeah. And it is a journey. It's a story to kind of deconstruct. It's, a, it's an investigation. You know, it, it's kind of like a, the very best, like, crime documentary yeah. and like love story at the same time. Like it yeah. truly is an art and science. And this is what we evolved with mm -hmm. when we're talking about, you know, practitioners in medicine, even going back to Hippocrates, yeah. you know, and, but again, it's been more and more sanitized mm -hmm. and becomes this kind of tunnel vision where we're looking at and treating a patient. It's just so mechanistically focused. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and it, it, there's a reason why another word for functional medicine is systems medicine. And I, in many ways, act as a quarterback for my patients where I, it, we bring the best of all worlds in. If there's patient needs a psychiatrist, we're going to integrate that in. If they need a trauma specialist, we're going to bring that in. If they need a gastroenterologist, we're going to bring that in. Um, we need that sort of interplay between fields of healthcare because people are falling through the cracks when we, these doctors have these sort of siloed perspectives and treat the body as sort of separate and separate systems and compartmentalize them. It has to, we have to have this cohesive approach to serve people because the body's interconnected and we have to start seeing it that way. Can you talk a little bit about the autonomic nervous system? Yeah, so it's a massive part of how we feel in our life. It's one of those things that people take for granted, but we would not be here without it. There's three main branches, right? There's the sympathetic, the parasympathetic, and then the enteric nervous system. The parasympathetic is the weakest part. I mean, most of our culture to varying degrees have, they're in that sympathetic hypertone, that overactivation of the sympathetic fight, flight, inflamed, dysregulated response because sympathetic is so overactive. 
for a number of reasons. I mean, underlying gut problems, environmental toxins, chronic stress, shame, trauma, all play into that overactivation of the sympathetic aspect of the autonomic nervous system. The parasympathetic is weak in many ways, and that shows up in what researchers refer to as poor vagal tone. The vagus nerve is the largest cranial nerve in the body, and it's the main governor regulator of the parasympathetic aspect. And it's also, it's very much has to do with why we're seeing this vast majority of gut health problems, because it's ultimately a nervous system problem for many people. And a lot of my job is to improve vagal tone through these gut action items and feeling action items within their protocols. Um, so that's what the autonomic ner nervous system is. But it, like all, mostly everything within health, it exists on a spectrum, right? Sort of the end stage of that, that hyperactivation of the sympathetic aspect of the autonomic nervous system is what is labeled in conventional medicine as dysautonomia or dysautonomia. There is a vast group of people that would not be able to be diagnosed as dysautonomic, meaning this sort of end stage of a dysregulated nervous system. But they're somewhere on that spectrum of feeling wired and tired, anxious and exhausted, background anxiety, having digestive problems, having things like background anxiety, brain fog, fatigue. That is a dysregulated autonomic nervous system. And it's something that people don't have to settle for. But how many people do we know that just feel like that's their lot in life? Like they're just, that's how they are. They feel like they're broken and they're just stressed, but they're really living with a system that is healable and overcomable and reversible, like optimizable. And that's what breaks my heart. It's like these life is so short, even for the people that live the longest life is so short. And people settle for these, these states that are not actually who they are. Yeah. And to deal with that today, we often turn to things to get a temporary uh, relief, yeah. essentially. And you point out that this could be exacerbating the problem. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about how something like alcohol influences mm -hmm. this gut feeling phenomenon. I'm glad you brought that up. Because let's piss some people off by the alcohol. I lose friends every time I post about the research around alcohol because they're like, man, that's the one thing that they keep in, right? And it's in, in many ways, it's so glamorized and normalized with, even within the wellness world, right? It's like the organic stuff. It's the low sugar stuff. Look, there are better for you versions for these. And I'm not demonizing someone to have the choice and do it if, if they have a healthy relationship with. But I... The stake that it still has within the wellness community, I always find to be interesting, but it is a neurotoxin. There's no way around it. And it, that's why low alcohol, low sugar wine is pragmatically probably the least The if I had to recommend a patient to have it in small amounts, it's because it's the low alcohol. It's the least amount of the neurotoxin. It's not a health food in any way, shape or form. But it's, it's, it's going to impact brain volume, which you know very well. Um, even small amounts. People just drink a few drinks a week in small amounts. Occasionally uh, have less brain volume, which is associated with things like anxiety, depression, brain fog, fatigue. Just to be clear, you're saying it shrinks your brain. It shrinks your brain. It shrinks your brain. I mean, nobody wants a shrunken brain. I don't, at least. Maybe somebody out there It's does. like very Beetlejuice. You know? <laughs> yes. 
That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, they don't want the, shrunk, the shrunken brains. but and, and it also increases intestinal permeability or leaky gut syndrome. So again, that gut-brain axis, the autonomic nervous system is being negatively impacted by even small amounts of alcohol. So I'm not some puritanical you know, teetotaler. If people want to drink, I just want them to know and have an educated, mindful decision uh, and then take some activated charcoal and glutathione afterwards if they're going to have it. I was just at my son's basketball game and one of the parents, which she's a really cool person, and she's listening to the show and she saw the episode that I did. It was like a masterclass on the impacts of alcohol. She was like, yep, I'm skipping that one. You know, like she told me she loves every episode. Yeah, she's like, yeah. but she saw the thing that's a trigger for her. Like, I don't want to know. This is something I enjoy. Yeah. I don't know. I'm an ostrich on this one. Yeah. My head is in the dirt. And, you know, that's the thing, you know, oftentimes, and I've seen this over the years, like, just mm -hmm. don't tell me, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah. When the very best way to go about this in a way that is truly empowering is to be aware of the thing so that you can consciously choose it. Yeah. And I think that there's a danger in being unaware of the influences of things that are, you know, and the thing is also, we do know that it's not good for you, right? Mm -hmm. You just said it, like, Let's not put in the category of a health food, at least, mm -hmm. because as you said, in our circle in particular, in the health space, you know, it's this framing, you know, it's this, it's that, it's still a very, very toxic substance. Mm -hmm. You know, this is one of those things where we evolved to be able to use alcohol to run metabolic systems. It's a macronutrient, mm -hmm. but we never evolved the capacity to store it because mm -hmm. it's so toxic. Like mm -hmm. your body will stop, stop using all other macronutrients it's called fat sparing. It'll stop using your stored body fat. Yeah. If alcohol is on the scene, it has to use it because it is slowly killing you. Yeah. But we developed the capacity to use alcohol from eating, you know, we're talking millions of years ago, human ancestors, fruits that had gone bad, you know, things that have fallen to the jungle floor, the, you know, the forest floor, mm -hmm. and to be able to make the most of it. Today, we don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. But also within that, you know, you just mentioned low, the lower percentage of alcohol being found in something like wine, right? Through this process of, you know, ethanol creation mm -hmm. versus humans at some point, they were like, you know what? We need more alcohol in this alcohol. So then they yeah. came up with distillation, right? To increase that percentage of alcohol, making it more and more toxic. Just smaller amounts really can mess you up or get you into the state that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. But we're looking at what are the long-term effects of this thing? And you just mentioned even low to moderate alcohol consumption is now proven to reduce the size of your brain to lead to all manner of kind of metabolic dysfunction. Mm -hmm. We just got to stop putting in the category of a health food, but also we're not trying to be, you mm -hmm. know, what is the term? Puritans? Yeah, we're not trying to shame anybody. Yeah, but we don't, we yeah. don't need more shame. Yeah, we, we don't want to shame inflammation, but <laughs> then they're stressing about like the stuff. I don't want them to do that, but you know, I still want people, like you said, to make educated decisions for themselves and know what it's about. Because I, I do see people that they'll, they eat the perfect foods. They're, they're, they're yeah. like super clean. They're living, they're going to the gym. They're doing all the wellness stuff, but they're regularly having the alcohol a few times a week or on the weekends. And then they wonder, why is my anxiety still here? Why is my brain fog fatigue still here? Why can't I lose the weight? Why is my digestion still off? It's one of those dark areas that I find people just don't want to go to. But when they go there, sometimes it's as simple as that that moves them past that plateau. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen um, 
this really interesting thing of kind of like a, a new level of clarity is one of the things that people have shared with me, right? And they're just like, you feel like this all the time? You know, just like, you know, because it's, it's one of those things where we're suppressing feelings, but then there's a point at which certain processes in the body and the brain kind of go offline mm -hmm. and then we experience a purging of other feelings. Mm -hmm. But may, maybe, as even as I'm saying, maybe I'm meaning very likely, not in a healthy way, where we're actually consciously processing mm -hmm. the things that we're holding on to, which brings me to one of the things you talk about is trauma, obviously, you know, and the things that we've been through in our lives, but it's deeper than that. You talk about intergenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So as I mentioned, one of the things that we um, quantify on for any new telehealth patient is what's called an ACE score, the Adverse Childhood Experience Score. And we ask things beyond that, like what was their relationships like? What was their life like? What's their work dynamic like? So both past and current life situation stuff will get a cumulative idea, will give you an cumulative idea of what your trauma looks like. And then put that into context with, is it playing a role in your health today? And we know the people that have these high trauma scores, again, are more likely to have these hypervigilant nervous systems, inflammatory states, and more prone to have metabolic issues and autoimmune issues. So that's that. But for many people, and research is now showing this, this field of intergenerational trauma or transgenerational trauma is things not just that happen to us in this life, but our ancestors' life back to two, three generations and beyond back. Most of the research is done on a few generations, but I have no doubt it's more than that. And the two sort of geopolitical historical things that have been looked at has, is a Ukrainian man-made famine in the early 20th century done by Russia. Joseph Stalin basically was killing and mass genocide of the Ukrainian people. Nothing new under the sun. The Ukrainian people wanted independence and that was their move against the Ukrainian people. And researchers looked at their descendants two, three generations down and found these methylation SNPs, these gen genetic variants that had to do with how your body handled neurotransmitter function and inflammation and detoxification pathways and found that they had the same variants passed on through generations. And it was expressing it's sort of like a genetic heirloom donated in the form of a anxiety or an autoimmune issue or a metabolic issue of what happened to great grandma. And similarly, researchers are looking at uh, descendants of Holocaust survivors as well. So this can be sobering because it's like, okay, people feel like they're screwed, right? They, I, I, I have enough trauma in my life. Now I have to worry about my great, great grandmother's tra tra trauma. But, you know, as I say in the book, and I'm telling my patients all the time, just as trauma can be inherited, literally stored in yourselves, so can healing. Yeah. And I see people breaking the chains of dysfunction, the chains of disease, the chains of, of hurt and pain all the time and heal not only themselves, but heal their children and their children's children and generations that they'll never get to meet by having agency over their health today. And we all, some people are dealt horrible cards in their life. We can't change that, but we can change what we do with it. And that it's, it's heavy stuff, but it's so, there's so much redemption when it comes to, like there's a, it's an old proverb, but it's like out of the most, 
Like the heaviest darkness has the biggest propensity for light. And I see that in my patients' lives all the time. Thank you so much for sharing that. Because again, you just, it could be another thing where we get, you know, more shame inflammation, worrying about, you know, the historical stuff, our, our ancestors and whatnot. And, you know, it, it's so fascinating today. But the thing is, even as I'm about to say this, I, I'm very much well aware. And I think we are just on a very simple basis that our genes are getting passed on, right? Mm -hmm. But we always put that in a disempowering way in mm -hmm. our culture but our genes are getting read a certain way as well. It's not just the gene itself. There are epigenetic influences on how genes are getting read and how they're displaying in the cascade. And then we're passing that data on because truly it's like a handing off of a baton yeah. to see our offspring be more adapted to a world and to be able to survive and keep the species going. So we're passing on that data. Like this is what's going on right now. Yes. We pass this data on so that you can survive better in this climate, right? And so there's some great examples that you just shared. There's another one, it's a mouse model. And this was, it's so, it's so cool. I did a, a guest lecture a couple of times for uh, some, the neuroscience department at NYU. And Wendy Suzuki is there. And she shared this data with me early on and we'll put a study up for everybody. But what they were doing was essentially exposing these mice to abnormal stressors, right? And they were seeing that this stress adaptations that were leading to dysfunction were then passed on to the offspring. Like literally next generation, next generation, even you know the generation after that was still carrying those mm -hmm. genetic kind of alterations, yeah. right? But now here's the thing. So they're carrying on this distress trauma, you know, genetic expression. But they found that even after multiple generations of trauma expression, by exposing that next generation of mice to a, uh, to a nourishing environment, mm -hmm. to more safety. And what she said was kind of like a Disneyland, right? For the mice to be able to play, be in a place that has plenty of activity and nourishment, all the things. Mm -hmm. That genetic trauma alteration changed to more of a positive, healthy expression. And then that got passed on yeah. to the generations after, right? Yeah. And so again, we can logically detect that this is happening for us as a species. This is how we got here. Yeah. But we have to take it in our own hands today to start to create a nourishing environment internally and externally around us. But we're talking today about internally and gut feelings. So let's dig more into this. And I want to talk about, ah, <laughs> oh, man, this is a tough one, toxic diet culture. So how does your gut feelings plan, you know, in your book, how does this address this kind of strange, toxic diet culture that we have today. So, well, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this too. But so, you know, I, this is a sort of a, an important part of the book. Uh, it's basically a chapter of the book of, of tackling this because it's so intertwined to this topic of gut feelings. When I mentioned the orthorexia and sort of the complex nature of what's going on here. And when you're talking about inflammation, anxiety, and depression, the people that I see here. and I don't think anybody's going to argue with the fact that there's toxicity within quote unquote diet culture, sort of shaming people and have this sort of, uh, sort of uh, basically eat less, work out more and starve yourself. The, the classic 20th century thing that's still going on today and marketed to people. And 
But then there's this rebound response of what's known as anti-diet culture. And just like with most things, it's sort of like the response isn't the complete polar opposite. And those people, and I have a very raw conversation in the book, I just tend to ignore basic nutrition logic. And they're confusing my people. They're confusing the people that are struggling with autoimmune issues. They're confusing the people that have anxiety and depression and metabolic issues. People that have insulin resistance are now confused because of this talk, this anti, what I would call toxic anti-diet culture, because they're telling them things like there's no such thing as a bad food and eat intuitively and you and people are bound by these insatiable cravings and hangriness and they are mistaking their hangriness for their intuition and they message me on Instagram and they say, I can't even say this publicly because I'm a part of this quote unquote intuitive eating, this quote unquote body positivity movement, but I know these foods don't love me back. And it's this toxic tribalism really yeah. that's what's going on are leaving a lot of just everyday normal people really confused because they know toxic diet culture isn't good. Like shaming your body into wellness is the antithesis of sustainable wellness. But then the opposite, there's just some basic facts that some foods are gonna mess up your blood sugar. Some foods are gonna mess up your digestion and raise inflammation levels. And avoiding those foods isn't restriction. It is not toxic diet culture, it's self-respect. And it's really empowering people to be their own and of one experiment. What does your body love and what does your body hate? And I, the, the analogy that I put in the book is like a, a toxic relationship, like continuing to eat foods that don't love you back. It's like staying in a toxic relationship and wondering why you're still miserable. But avoiding those foods isn't restrictive. It's ultimately you knowing, hey, I love feeling great more than, more than I want something that's going to dim my light. And that's the paradigm shift that I want people to have or what I call in the book food peace. It's this third way that I think is a middle ground of not diet culture, anti-diet culture. It's using the latest science and clinical nutrition facts that we have about foods and focusing on the things that love us back. And um, so it's going to probably piss some people off in the anti-diet culture, but I think it's an important point. And they probably are going at this, as with most things, what they say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I really feel like, they're hurting people that are confused too, that have, a, because of social media, a loud microphone yeah. to talk about through their hurt. But ultimately, I think they're, they're adding to more confusion out there, more food confusion. Yeah. Wow. You just, man, it's so powerful. So powerful. Got a quick break coming up. We'll be right back. The human brain is the most powerful pharmacy in the universe. And I'm saying that because every single thought that we think creates correlating chemistry in our bodies. And that biochemistry is designed uniquely for you. It's beyond bioidentical hormones or bioidentical neurotransmitters. These are designed specifically for your own receptor sites. So what you're making within your own body based on your thoughts, your perception of reality is of the utmost importance. And obviously thoughts of stress and anxiety and worry and fear these are going to create cascades that make us feel a certain way. The same with more positive and affirmative feelings and thoughts of joy, of love, of connection. But all of our emotions matter. Now, 
The thing is, if we're talking about health and longevity, we wanna make sure that we're stacking conditions to have more positive affirmative thoughts and buffer us from the stressful thoughts that we are inevitably going to have. Now our sleep hygiene, our movement practices, and also our nutrition are of the utmost importance in helping to modulate these things. And when it comes to managing stress, there is one particular story T that has been utilized for thousands of years that stands head and shoulders above the rest. A study published in Biomedical Research found that test subjects with a variety of health complaints, including anxiety and poor sleep quality, were given lion's mane medicinal mushroom or a placebo for four weeks to monitor their metabolic and psychological impact. The participants who utilized lion's mane had significantly reduced levels of anxiety and irritation than those in the placebo group. The researchers stated, quote, our results show that lion's mane intake has the possibility to reduce depression and anxiety, unquote. Not only that, scientists at the University of Malaya discovered that compounds in lion's mane are able to significantly improve the activity of a nerve growth factor in the brain. Nerve growth factor is essential in the regulation of growth, maintenance, proliferation, and survival of various brain cells. If we want to have a healthy brain and protect our brain cells, which we don't have the regenerative activity of brain cells like we do other cells in our bodies, we've got to take care of our brain cells. This is one of the few things ever discovered that has that protective capacity. For me and my family, we wanna make sure that the medicinal mushrooms that we're utilizing, lion's mane, chaga, reishi, and the like, are all done via a dual extraction to make sure that we're getting these bioactive compounds in a more full fashion. So via a hot water extract and an alcohol extract, there's one company that's doing that and infusing these incredible medicinal mushrooms into things like organic coffee, organic hot cocoa, and I'm talking about the folks at Four Sigmatic. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model and get 10% off store-wide of all of their incredible medicinal mushroom elixirs, cocos, and their organic coffee blends as well. Today, I actually had the Lion's Mane and Chaga organic coffee blend. This is one of those things, of course, it puts you on 10, but it helps you to modulate and manage your energy. It's not one of those things where you get this jolt of energy and then it leaves you lagging later on. It's very steady, mild-mannered behavior, and also helping to really activate the cognitive function that we're looking at, we're talking about things like lion's mane medicinal mushroom. You can get 10% off store-wide plus more. They got some incredible packages that you've got to check out and specials over at foursigmatic.com forward slash model. Go to F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model for 10% off store-wide and more. And now back to the show. The thing about social media, it's wonderful because everybody has a voice. And it's absolutely terrifying because everybody has a voice, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. But that's the thing. It's just, even as I say that, it's polar opposites, right? But mm -hmm. everything, most things are going to exist somewhere in the middle, yeah. right? And you just said something so profound, which is we tend to swing right to the other side of the pendulum. So we're experiencing, we are literally the sickest society in the history of humanity today, mm -hmm. right? Highest rates of obesity cancer, heart disease, depression, everything is at epidemic proportions. We are fucked up. Mm -hmm. And instead of addressing that, we swing all the way over here. Body positivity, you're, everything is just fine, mm -hmm. right? Now, the reality is it's in 
in the middle here for a lot of things, which is we don't want to hate our way into better health. Yeah. But if you're unhealthy, you're a ticking time bomb for yeah. pain and suffering. Yeah. And to just say, you know, everything is fine how I am and I'm experiencing a state of obesity and high blood pressure and inflammation and all these different things. You know, I'm, I'm insulin resistant right now. I'm not type two diabetic. I've been diagnosed yet. So, you know, I'm straight, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. In reality, it's not just hurting us as well, because mm -hmm. this is supposed to be a movement about compassion, mm -hmm. right? We're going to inherently be hurting those who care for us. Mm -hmm. We're inherently going to be hurting our communities and society at large be, because we're gonna be restricted in giving our gifts yeah. and expressing joy and happiness and all the things. We can have those temporary ideas we tell ourselves, yeah. but in reality, we can have both. You don't have to be this, what society deems to be this picture perfect, you know, um, aesthetic body we're so beautiful and dynamic and diverse yeah let's let's celebrate that but let's also celebrate health and how to care for that because yeah. there are very specific rules to this reality like we live we're operating in this unit there's gravity. <laughs> there's gravity as much as i might want to like not be with about it you know what I'm saying? if i step off the building yeah i'm gonna fall right you know and it's just it is and so we know that for example, real food is a hallmark to creating real healthy cells. Yeah. But the majority of our diet is ultra-processed foods today. Yeah. So no, it's true. I mean, and like you said, it it's it should be a both and thing. Like loving yourself today doesn't necessarily mean you have to accept where you're at today. Yeah. And as yes. it's the back cover of this book, you you can't heal a body you hate. But ultimately it has to be born out of self-love and self-respect. And even if we all ate the same way and ate the quote unquote perfect diet, which doesn't even exist. Even if we did all the same good things, we still would all look different and that's okay. Just to echo what you said, we're still gonna all look different. And that is, that's true authentic body positivity, but there's nothing positive about metabolic disorder. And ultimately I want to love people to that higher place. This is a good segue into why mindfulness is so important to our wellness practices. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it's that. true. And that's one of those metaphysical meals. Like basically in the book, I put together a protocol of basically 42 of my sort of top things. And every day they can sort of explore which ones resonate with them. Because they're not going to do all 42 all the time. But these are the ones that the research is the most exciting to me. And what I've seen clinically, like on the ground, to be the most effective. So every day there's going to be a gut action item and a feeling action item. And on the feeling side of things, things like mindfulness, really getting granular on what types of meditation are shown to be supportive of nourishing that autonomic nervous system, of strengthening that vagal tone and bringing down that hypervigilance and in turn that inflammation. So we talk about body scans and box breathing and mindfulness meditation and breath work, like holotropic breath work and even beginner types of breath work to really be supportive of that parasympathetic all the way to talk about somatic experiences like um, dancing and drumming and people, even yoga and Tai Chi are considered somatic. All of these things are what I call in the book acts of stillness, supportives of the, of the parasympathetic. And then some people say meditation is not for them. Typically, those are the people that need meditation the most, <laughs> but... There's other entry points of meditation, like even forest bathing, which I know you know about, but Shinrin-yoku is how it's, it's Japanese term that literally translates in English as forest bathing. And it 
sounds like another weird thing that we do in wellness. Like we're taking a bathtub out in the middle of the forest <laughs> and getting naked in a bath, but it's not. It's using nature as a meditation. It's using nature as a medicine and a meditation. And maybe sitting in the lotus position isn't where you're at right now. Maybe you're so dysregulated that that's uncomfortable for you. So start off with forest bathing or one of these other practices, one of these other feeling action items that I talk about in the book, but they're all essential. These are metaphysical meals. They should be treated like you treat your breakfast, lunch, and dinner because it's a practice just like anything else. And none of us are good at it, <laughs> which is why it's a practice. So you stay consistent with it. Just like you'd go to the gym and go to the gym one time and say the gym didn't work for me. No, it's going to take time and get some weeks and months and years under your belt to start to see the fruition of these parasympathetic practices like meditation and different schools of it. Yeah, yeah. These are all things that our genes expect us to do. When you just mentioned forest bathing, these like nature inputs, Yeah. right? We, it's so weird. Even as I say this stuff, it's just, it's like nature is out there. You yeah, know, we're yeah. different. We're separate from it, but we just made it up. You know, we can pretend we're kind of like, we're kind of like less hairy beavers. Like we just, beavers build dams. Like we build buildings. We're just making stuff. And this stuff is from nature yeah. too. Yeah. I but think that should be the title of, the, of this episode. Less hairy beavers. <laughs> How to be a less hairy beaver. But then there's also another less hairy. Never mind. That's a whole other, that's a whole other book. Um, that's book five. <laughs> double entendres, man. Less hairy beavers. All right. So. Now, with this being said, you know, these are things that our genes expect us to have these exposures. This is why we experientially, when we are by, you know, around a body of water, right, near the ocean, the lakes, rivers, that kind of thing, something happens. There's a shift that autonomic nervous system has a tendency to shift over to that kind of parasympathetic vibe. Mm -hmm. And the same thing holds true with, you know, being in a park or just, you know, trees, all these things. These are signals of safety mm -hmm. that our cells are getting. Right. And if we're not getting those exposures, like our, our genes are craving something that they're not getting, like it specs this thing. So what's mm -hmm. going to happen? We're going to manifest dysfunction mm -hmm. and it would normally guide us to those things through our evolution. But today we can suppress, mm -hmm. right? We can drink, we can watch, Distract ourselves. you know, right. We got yeah. all, we've got, we're living in the greatest time of distraction. Yeah. And so you're getting us back to what matters most Yeah. and this internal regulation. So would this mindfulness fit under that umbrella of like metaphysical meals? Yeah. Are you talking yeah, about? Absolutely. So, and I, I have a sort of a metaphysical meal plan in the book of how to like, you know, the traditionally like the end of the meal is maybe that like cup of tea or coffee, like to really use these meditative breathwork somatic practices to regulate your nervous system that just five, 15 minutes a day. And do a lot to start to retrain the nervous system to be more in a parasympathetic state. So, yeah, I think it's funny. Like, even I'm I'm excited that the researchers in Japan and South Korea are looking at things like forest bathing as a way to modulate the nervous system and inflammation levels in a positive way. But ultimately, our ancestors would just call it life, right? Like they wouldn't right. have a term for it. It's just like, but we're decreasing that chasm between genetics and epigenetics by going and doing these things. We're so weird. We're so weird. We need, we need the double blind placebo controlled trial to just show us what our ancestors would have known all the time. Yeah. And they, the thing is too, we, like, we have this information. It's been passed down generation yeah. after generation, you know, but then we're just like, you know what? Fuck that. Give me some Flintstones vitamins. You <laughs> yeah. know, like that's how you get, yeah. that's the key to health. I want that quick dopamine hit of that FOMO inducing content on social media. I mean, it's, 
it's it's designer. It's it's, it's designed to be that way. Let's talk a little bit about in this vein with our nutrition. You mentioned earlier about the fact that we are in many ways. So again, I'm struggling. You have me thinking like so chicken or the egg. When you said earlier, yeah. it's like, man, like which thing comes first? But, you know, in some ways we are more resilient than our ancestors because of the, all of these crazy environmental stressors that we are still living through. Mm -hmm. like we're still making it. We're incredibly resilient species. But in other ways, we are far less resilient. Like it's this strange mm -hmm. paradigm that we're existing in right now. And so I think right now, more than ever, it's important for us to stack conditions to proactively build our resilience. It's not just finding a way to activate that parasympathetic, but to find ways that we're more resilient against when the sympathetic system is active and in control and we can come back to baseline faster, right? Yeah. Let's talk about a nutritional way to do this. Let's talk about adaptogens. Mm. Yeah, it's an amazing way. It's an amazing gut action item in the book of we've used clinically for the past 13 plus years and the world has used, and every part of the world has their own indigenous adaptogens for thousands and thousands of years. Every society you can think of traditionally around the world. But they have, adaptogens are a, a plant group that have some things in common, that they're safe for humans to consume and they have a modulating effect to be supportive of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And actually, as you were telling me about that study of how the hypothalamus, the hypothalamus inflammation, and I'm thinking of the downstream effect of that, the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis, adrenal axis, ovarian axis, testicular axis, what happens in the brain isn't staying in the brain. So it's impacting when people think hormones, quote unquote, are their issue, it's oftentimes a brain-based problem that's causing the hormonal imbalance in the first place. And not just a brain-based issue, but a brain inflammatory-based issue. So what these adaptogens tend to do is they have a balancing effect supporting the brain to communicate with the rest of the endocrine system, the hormonal communication lines. And many of them have been shown to have an anti-inflammatory effect as well, which I'm assuming, I would assume it's part of their you know, protective benefits. So things like ashwagandha is probably the most well-researched known. It's been used in Ayurvedic medicine for a long time. A tulsi or holy basil is another one that's used in Ayurvedic medicine for a long time. But you look at all different types of ginseng, like Siberian ginseng has been used for a long time. And uh, even medicinal mushrooms can have some adaptogenic qualities as well, like lion's mane and chaga. Um, so these are things that uh, I put throughout the book to show people these are things you can cook with, the things you can make like little elixirs with very easily. And some of them have exotic names, but they're because of the time we live in, the benefits of this mad world we live in is that these things are typically widely available and accessible to people in different forms. You don't need all the adaptogens, but they're a tool within the toolbox that you can play around with. And I wouldn't call them foundational. I think we need to get the core of the food right to work on gut health. I think we need to get the core of these, the, this trauma work and the stress work. But I feel like the adaptogens, some things like the adaptogens are like the cherry on top. They're things that are people that are got the foundational things under and they're looking for added tools other than a toolbox to modulate their nervous system in a positive way. 
So I've seen them be game changers for people that when they are using them like this. Yeah, yeah. And you are dropping some gems. And it's just, it's, it's like a subtle thing there because, you know, and you've seen this as well. We'll find out about an adaptogen. We'll find out about maca, right? Yeah, yeah. And then we're eating like, you know, <laughs> Doritos and, you know, um, Dunkin' Donuts for breakfast. So like, yeah. That's such a weird combination. But we're eating that. And coffee and the whole, not, not the good stuff, you know, like yeah. the, the Dunkin' Donuts with the yeah. sugar and all the things. Yeah. And then we're taking maca and they're just yeah. like, you know, yeah. man, like I'm not, I'm not really getting any results with that. Like what's, what's going on? It's going to be hard to maca your way out of that. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So it's, you know, it's very simple. You just said it. The foundational piece is based on like, what are the big movers? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's your diet. It's, it's, yeah. the, it's the foods that you're eating. And then you add things like that on top of you know, really focusing on having a majority whole real food diet. And then you add in some Tulsi or some ashwagandha and things like that. Like we're, now we're starting to really refine things yeah. and build up resilience. Like you, it's very difficult to be resilient when, mm -hmm. you know, when we're eating, you know, Burger King, cycling Burger King to Wendy's to McDonald's. Yeah. That was my, my trilogy by my house. You know, <laughs> like when I get tired of McDonald's, just hop over yeah. or flame Mix grilled, things up. <laughs> you know, version or Wendy's, they got the square patty. Yeah, whatever squared reason. around, yeah, you know. So if up. you're doing that, it's very difficult to be reaching the level of resilience and passing on that data. And this is also speaking to something that was passed on with our ancestors. And again, we can lose track of these things with the awareness that they had that they're making choices for future generations. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think we've been more self-centered than we are today. But mm -hmm. under the guise, like the superficial compassion, we yeah. care about things and the planet and causes yeah. and all these things. But yeah. the choices that we're making for ourselves right now, like the food that we're eating, for example, is deeply impacting the next generation, you know? So yeah. being able to like take full accountability. And so just to tie everything together, you know, and this has been so fascinating um, with gut feelings, you know, we've talked about the nutrition component, we talked about the metaphysical meals. Is there anything else that you want to point people to that you talk about in the book? Well, I, I think it, we covered the major tenets of it, but I, what I wanted to do in the book is really infuse a grace and a lightness back into wellness. Because I feel like sometimes, again, I, I biohack with the rest of them, but I think context around these things matter because we can have amazing tools within nutrition. We can have amazing tools within wellness and exercise and biohacking, but they become a shell of themselves when we lose the why of why we're doing this. And we can get lost in the weeds. We can start off with the best of intentions, like I say, but end up in hell because you're like, I, you're now, now stressing and shaming yourself with tools that are meant to bring life to you. So it's, it's checking ourselves. I think it's checking the health world because I've been in it for a long time, even before I've been in it professionally. I was the weird kid in Western Pennsylvania at 15 years old when I had my job at Finish Line. I'd use my paycheck to go get the random superfood that I read about in the 90s before there was the internet and all that stuff. But it's, look, I, I've been in this community for a long time and I think we need to check ourselves because I think that oh, there's a lot of people within our community that have lost their way, that they are, they have this supplement graveyard and they're taking this crap ton of supplements. They ha they're eating five foods because they're afraid of all the others. 
and they are just obsessed. They're like shaming their way into wellness, which it's going to be unsustainable or the shame is going to be such a detriment to the, any good outcome. And, or it's going to be, you know, for most people, it's going to be unsustainable, right? There's only, there's something's got to give. So that's sort of the other aspect beyond sort of the research around shame and trauma and all that stuff, which is tied into this and how these things impact my patients with autoimmunity and mental health issues. It's really a, the book is sort of a call to action, I think, for the wellness aficionados out there of like, what are you doing? Because they're my people again, they're the people I'm seeing and they're sort of spiraling with all this sort of paralysis of analysis. And they're like, I don't know how great their health is when they're coming at, at all this stuff with that sort of energy. Yeah, and I appreciate you for that because we've really got to address this, you know, because you just said it's well-intentioned. We're trying to figure this stuff out and we want to empower the folks who are stepping up and say, you know what, I want to feel good. I want to be healthy. I want to model this behavior for my, for my children. Mm -hmm. But now I've ventured into a place where there's so much shame and guilt around the decisions that I'm making or when things aren't working, you know, I'm punishing myself or, mm -hmm. you know, I'm trying to live this picture perfect life mm -hmm. in this very, very abnormal world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm separating myself unknowingly from people that could be very helpful or, mm -hmm. you know, bring joy to my life and all these things. And you're really getting to the heart of this. And I know that there's so much more to unpack here, obviously, and I want people to make sure they pick up a copy, yeah. like ASAP, Gut Feelings, available everywhere books are sold. Can you let everybody know where the best place to pick up your book would be and Thanks, also man. where they can follow you? Thanks, man. Everything's at drwillcool.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. But the links to all the places you can get Gut Feelings are there. But Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, independent bookstores, I mean, you and I both know in the book world, supporting local independent bookstores is important. So if you have one locally, um, support them. Um, and my podcast, which you were a guest on, and hopefully you'll come back. It's called The Art of Being Well. So that everything's at drwilkohl.com though. Wonderful. And this has been such Thanks, a man. joy. My, I've got good gut feelings <laughs> hanging out with you, man. Guardian angels, man. Let's go. My yeah. guy, Dr. Will Cole, everybody. Truly, our minds are the most powerful pharmacy in the universe. And I say that very intentionally because the chemicals that we're creating are specially designed for us. They fit directly into our receptor sites. They're not like foreign pharmacological agents where there's going to be a patchwork job and a picking and choosing and seeing if things match. And of course, this manifestation of what we refer to as side effects, which are really direct effects of utilizing things that are really abnormal or unnatural for our bodies. Now, being that our minds are the most powerful pharmacy in the known universe, wouldn't it be to our best advantage today more than ever to learn how to use our minds for our betterment rather than what's the social norm today, which is to be disempowered and to not be told that you have the ability to influence your health by influencing how you're thinking, how you're perceiving the world around you, how you're perceiving yourself. This is the most important work and it impacts every single thing about us and about how we're showing up in the world. So I really hope that you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you did, please share it up with your friends and family. You can send this directly from the podcast app that you are listening on. And of course, you can take a screenshot and tag me and tag Dr. Cole as well. I'm at Sean Model on Instagram and tag Dr. Will Cole as well on Instagram. Let him know what you thought about this episode. Share the love. And of course, I'm on Twitter as well. If you want to share over on Twitter, I'm at Sean Model on Twitter and I'm at 
The Model Health Show on Facebook. All right. So again, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. And listen, we've got some incredible masterclasses and epic world-class guests coming your way very, very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.